Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Vivian Kelly. Joining me to break down your week in media and marketing is Mumbrella's senior media reporter, Hannah Blackiston. Hello. And reporter, Brittany Rigby. Hello. This week, we'll be talking about... A rough end to 2019 for radio. Is the Seven Prime merger in trouble? And Scott Morrison drops the Department of the Arts. Nova Entertainment was the third radio business to announce redundancies this week as it confirmed approximately 15 staff members had been let go. Similarly to when Southern Cross Osteria revealed its own cuts last week, Nova blamed a tough economic environment and said it had been impacted just as others have. Viv... It feels like we've reached the end of the year now and everybody in the radio business is getting all their changes in. Um, Nova, by far not the first one to come through with redundancies. What else have we seen happen? Well, we had Southern Cross Osterio last week announce approximately 90 redundancies. So they were the first off the block. Then we had Australian Radio Network, which has the likes of Kiss FM, WSFM and the Gold Network reveal that they'd had to shed a few people as well and they've had some programming changes. And so it sort of felt like Nova was inevitable as we flagged in last week's podcast. SCA was not alone in the conditions it's facing and in the consolidation it's having to go through. So we actually had known about Nova for quite some time. In fact, you had been tipped off quite a while ago and you'd been chasing this story down and I actually think, Hannah, you knew about it before perhaps some people within Nova did, which is why we couldn't get the story until this week. Look, there's no way around it. It's a really shitty time of year to be having to let people go and indeed if you're the people being let go. But, you know, there's another argument when when is a good time. Uh, Companies need to sort of clean up their books at this time of year. They want to start afresh in a new decade there's no getting around the economic conditions that we're in. And so it's a bit of ripping off the Band-Aid, I expect. You know, you've just got to do what you've got to do. And Nova was never going to be immune to the sorts of conditions that were facing other radio companies, other media companies and other companies in Australia in general. And we've seen a couple of lineup changes as well, which you kind of touched on there. I guess we're out of a ratings period at the moment. Is this just the time when all those lineup changes happen? Because it did feel like we kind of, I guess everyone as well, announcing their 2020 lineup. So if you're going to start changing a bunch of stuff now, you know, fresh for next year, now is the time to do it. I think it just kind of came as a bit of a shock because it felt like everything happened in one week. Radio has been quite stable for a while to the point where it's been a bit of a battle to write the ratings stories because you need something interesting, you need something different and you need a hook and when talent is the same and when everything's going well, it's a bit it's a bit difficult and it's, it has been quite stable. The volatilities come at the end of the year, whether it's a budget thing, whether it's just contracts ending, you know, who's to say. But Will Anderson is leaving Triple M Breakfast in Melbourne, which is owned by Southern Cross Stereo. Bianca Dye and Mike Van Acker are leaving 97.3, which is ARN in Brisbane. We've had some shows on Triple M in the evenings cut. We've had sort of changes across the board. You know, it's just, I don't know, new decade, new radio. I think they they need to shake things up. It's not necessarily cost-cutting as well. It's just contracts are up. 
people are looking to try and grab the audience where they can. And when things are up for renegotiation, basically anything can happen. Yeah, we also had um, Kate Langbrook announce she is actually leaving the Husey and Kate show to be replaced by Ed Cavalier, who has been filling in for her for quite a while, I think. Yeah, look, that's like the least surprising yeah. news of 20, <laughs> 2019. Uh, so Kate Langbrook, who hosted Drive on the Hit Network uh, for Southern Cross Oz Stereo with Dave Hughes, uh, they were previously on ARN, uh, she moved to Italy and... Mm. You know, word word has it that she wanted to leave the program then but was convinced by Hit Network's Gemma Fordham to stay on and, you know, dial in and all sorts of technology problems uh, from Italy. You know, they had to work really hard to make that happen and, you know, kudos to Gemma for getting that across the line and kudos to Kate for putting in that effort. But realistically, she didn't move to Italy with her family because she wanted to keep things the same. She moved to Italy with her family to do something different and to live that life. And it did feel a bit like she wasn't getting to completely do that when you've got to dial in at a really inconvenient time to do your syndicated Australian radio show. So I think they did it for as long as they could to keep, you know, the, the force that is Hughes and Kate together. But they've done a sort of soft launch with Ed Cavalier, who was formerly of Today FM Breakfast in Sydney, They've obviously tested that, seen how it goes. They've had Kate dial in. They've had her support. And now they can sort of fully admit, yeah, we can't do a Melbourne to Italy show five days a week in drive time. It's just must have been a logistical nightmare. You know, we've struggled even getting this podcast done today because I'm sick and I've been out. Imagine if I was you were trying to wrangle me from Italy, it would be a... You'd be too busy eating pizza. It would be an absolute nightmare. It's a nightmare. I'm a nightmare as it is. She moved at the end of like 2017 Mm. as well, I was reading. So that surprised me because I thought that she'd only been there for whatever reason this year. And to be like, oh no, it's not even just this year. It's not even just at the end of last year. Like we're talking two years at this point. Like it's a long time to keep that happening it must be hard as well for Husey like obviously he's a well experienced industry professional but I would imagine if you're used to having somebody in the room with you the energy is very different than if you've got to be communicating with someone on the other side of the world and as you mentioned like with tech issues and whatever else going on it must put a lot of pressure on you I think Husey and Kate benefit from the fact that they are such a well-oiled machine and they know each other so well so probably a lot of people who've just been thrown together because of, you know, chemistry tests and feedback and audience response, like all these people might work together. It it might not work, but they fortunately have worked together for a really long time, but it would still, it would still be hard. That instant response isn't there. And you would know what a different response you get when you do interviews on the phone versus when you do it in person. So they'd have to be so careful not to talk over the top of each other to make sure that the tech is there to make sure that it's working. It's just occurred to me as well, they wouldn't be able to signal anything at each other. Oh, they must be on video. Yeah, they'd be on video. Because I was like, just imagine how hard that would be if you're being like, please wrap this joke up. It's horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I think if they didn't have video, the whole two-hour drive time show on the Hit Network would have just been, oh, look. Yeah. Oh, no, no, you go. No, no, you, no, 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 you go first. No, no, you go first. And I suspect then that, you know, uh, SCA would be in even more trouble than it is now because that would be horrific to listen to. So I think they've done a really good job considering it's been broadcasting across, you know, the in- 
the entire globe, basically, other side of the world, but it wasn't sustainable and I don't think anybody is surprised that Kate isn't going to keep it up because how could you? Next up, Bruce Gordon and Anthony Catalano step in on the Prime 7 merger. A potential $64 million takeover bid of regional media business Prime Media by Seven West Media has faced issues this week as Australian community media and former domain boss Anthony Catalano and Wynn Corporation owner Bruce Gordon have voiced their opposition to the merge. So between them, they've got 26.52% of the shares. Bruce has got more than Anthony, but that's how much they've got between, between them. And they both come out and said we're not on board. The merger needs 75% to go through. So if they do both say, hey, we're not going to take part, it's not going to go through. I think the concern that people have though is it seems like they're both opposed to the merger because they both want Prime. Well, look, nobody's pretending that this is a charity. You know, they they have vested interests. They have reasons for blocking this. And it's not just because Anthony Catalano is very good at getting a headline. He's also very good at making and breaking business deals. So they are insisting that they're not working together, that they just both have their own business and personal reasons for why they think that Seven's acquisition of Prime isn't in the best interest of Prime shareholders but very conveniently, they do have more than the 25% blocking stake required should they come together to vote against it. So they do. They, you know, Bruce Gordon, I'm sure, would love Prime. Anthony Catalano has made no secret of the fact that he wants to build up his regional media empire. He's got, as you said, the Australian community media assets, which includes the Canberra Times and I think it's like 160 Mm. regional papers that he acquired from Nine, which used to belong to Fairfax. So he wants to get into television. There are all sorts of roadblocks, though, not just James Warburton, the Seven CEO, and not just the other prime shareholders, but, you know, that little thing known as the law could also get in. the way of their ambitions. Uh, They're agitating for the communications minister, Paul Fletcher, to change the law. That would be quite a predicament, though. It would be quite a bad look for suddenly a law to be rushed through simply so that the cat or Bruce Gordon could get what they want in regional media, not to mention that then the ACCC could theoretically block Mm. it, even if it was enshrined in law. So it's definitely going to be interesting times, I think, more so than last time. You know, Catalano tried to stop the nine Fairfax merger, but that was a very last-minute sort of desperate bid. This feels a bit more calculated. It feels a bit more careful. It feels a bit more considered. And it actually feels like it could not necessarily stop things but definitely delay them. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got a viable alternative here and they've got a, a stake that's not controlling but could block what James Warburton wants and you know it's not necessarily a pissing contest but there's a lot of uh big big men involved here who (laughs) want to want to control some pretty key media assets and I don't think any of them are going to back down without a fight so it'll be very interesting to see sort of who comes out on top yeah I believe the vote is needed by next week so they're going to want to get on it real quick Mm -hmm. but you're right it isn't like last time where it felt very much like 
Catalina was running into the church mm. on the final minute. I object. <laughs> um, this does seem a bit more thought out. Um, but yeah, he, he's gone to the engagement party instead of you yeah, know, <laughs> and instead of demand that they the break up. Um, they and both... he's organised for a friend to go with him. He has. <laughs> he has. He brought a mate, a friend, but not a date. You know, because they're, no. they're not together. But I mean, that's the thing, right? They both came out in opposition on the same day. Sure, they're not working together in that, you know, they're working for the same business and they want the exact same thing. But surely this is calculated in that they are both smart people. They know that if they team up and they have an ally, you know, the enemies of your enemies are your friends, essentially. So I, I think that, yeah, you're right in that it feels far more planned out. The timeline was um, over the weekend, essentially, both Gordon and Catalano gave comment to the same papers saying that they had concerns over the merger. Their concerns are basically the same wording. Uh, it isn't good value for current shareholders and that they uh, the current media laws are the only reason that there's only one offer on the table. What then happened was quite interesting because those stories then forced Prime Media to put out an ASX announcement in which it said, hey, we've seen the stories, we get it, Um, we're going to have to go back to seven and have a conversation now. So that was when it all kind of came to a head. But, yeah, I mean, if that's a coincidence, then I'll eat my hat. Um, You're not wearing a hat. Thanks, Vivian. (laughs) Thanks for that input. Um, (laughs) I think – They both gave some really pointed comments. Gordon called out Fletcher and said that he wasn't serious about the future of regional media because he wouldn't review the laws. Seven has basically come out and said that they're both idiots and that it's not going to happen. Is that a direct quote? (laughs) That's a direct quote. (laughs) Everyone is an idiot. (laughs) Um, Seven also obviously says that the, uh, the offer is perfectly reasonable. Um, so I don't, and I honestly am not sure that Seven's even slightly concerned by this, which is kind of an interesting vibe. I think it's worth noting as well that whilst this has all hit the press now in, in December, it would have kicked off some time ago. Catalano hasn't acquired these shares today, this week, this month. He's been making moves for probably just as long as James Warburton has been making moves, you know. Gossip has it that James Warburton, before he was even Seven's CEO, so when Tim Warner was still CEO of Seven, rumour has it that Warburton was getting together a group of investors to purchase Seven separately and that Catalano was at the same time building up his stake. So I think it depends who you talk to uh, and whether they're in Catalano's camp or Warburton's camp about who started this quest first and – you know, one narrative is that Catalano's jumped in to stop Warburton, but the other narrative is, well, actually, Catalano was already building a plan, building a regional media business plan. And it just so happens that now Warburton is seven CEO and wants to bring them together and everyone is thwarting each other's, you know, would-be excellent media businesses. So it's all coming to a head as, as we get to the end of the decade, but I think they would probably both argue they've had desires for this outcome for quite some time. And it's just interesting that, that Prime is suddenly such a bloody hot asset. It's like when Outdoor got sexy a while ago, you know, it used to be the poor cousin of everybody and then suddenly it was the hot spot for bidding wars within media and, you know, with Adshell and APN Outdoor and O Media bidding for that and then JC Ducoe acquiring APN Outdoor and 
everybody getting on board. Now it's like everybody wants a piece of the prime possum and it's, it's, <laughs> it's quite, a, quite a turnaround for, for prime. I mean, if I was a prime shareholder, I actually probably wouldn't be that dissatisfied because you've gone from being, you know, all media is under pressure, all media is suffering. We've just talked about redundancies across the board and we've spoken in previous podcasts about ad spend being down and sentiment being down and everybody crawling towards the finish line of this decade. Now you've got, you know, three of the country's most powerful media executives in Anthony Catalano, Bruce Gordon and James Warburton fighting over your asset. I reckon you'd be You'd be pretty all right with that if you were a prime possum. Fine. Prime possum specifically, <laughs> noted CEO of Prime Media. Um, as well, it's a regional media asset. Like, I mean, we literally started 2019 talking about how terrible things were for regional media. Not that this really is doing anything on the floor to the newsrooms or anything like that, but it is quite interesting how much the tables have turned mm. in just 12 months. Yeah, and look, it's certainly not going to be – not going to be the end. I'm not sure sort of what happens if uh, the cat and Bruce Gordon block this merger. Has there been any talk? So say they, they say no and they block it. What what happens? Well, I would presume Seven have to come away and come back with another offer or give up the ghost, which if we know anything about James Warburton, <laughs> that won't happen. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting one to watch. I don't know how he's going to get them on side though, but we shall see. We shall see. Next up, Scott Morrison's department shakeup. And do keep listening until the end of the podcast to hear our new sponsored segment, Audio Diaries, from audio specialist agency Eardrum. Ralph Van Dyke, founder of Eardrum, talks to some of Australia's leading CMOs about the growing role audio is playing in their brand development. Today, you'll hear his chat with Darren Wallace. Marketing and Innovation Director for Dairy and Non-Alcoholic at Lion. The Morrison government has abolished the Department of Communications and the Arts as part of a public service restructure, rolling it into a new super department called the Department of Infrastructure, Transport, Regional Development and Communications. So you'll note no mention of the arts. Brittany, that's quite a super portfolio to use a buzzword if I if I may. Is this something that the quiet Australians wanted? What's the reason for this change? Who knows what the quiet Australians want? I'm They're cert- quiet. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not one of them. I'm a You're the loud. loudest Australian I know, Vivian. Um, look, Morrison, Morrison's line is efficiency, right? So he's given this, this statement that, you know, says among other things that it will drive greater collaboration on important policy challenges. For example, better integrating the government's education and skills agenda and ensuring Australians living in regional areas can access the infrastructure and services they need. So obviously regional development is part of this new department along with communications. I just don't understand how lumping regional development in with infrastructure and transport suddenly make regional infrastructure and transport better. It it felt like weird reasonings to me and a little bit of a long bow to draw to be like, oh, great. Well, if we put communications and infrastructure in with regional development, then suddenly 
newspapers in regional Australia will be better, <laughs> infrastructure will be better, you know, services will be better. Um, so, yeah, the line is efficiency. The line is that, you know, it's streamlining the number of departments. It's gone from, I think, four, uh, 18 to 14. That's not even that much of I a know. reduction, though. Like, it's just not that impressive to reduce something from 18 to 14. You know, I would totally get how infrastructure, transport, regional development and communications and then in tiny, tiny brackets, small print and the arts could be put together if you got the departments down to six or something. Yeah. You know, like then everything's just a clusterfuck of whatever goes together, whatever goes together. If only culled four, it's, it's not that – it's just not that impressive and yet we've still – got this really bizarre combination of things and it's worth noting as people have pointed out uh, who were possibly born before we were in the 80s and 90s that you know this sort of structure has existed before it's not the first time blah 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 doesn't doesn't mean it makes sense you know just because something's happened before doesn't mean it's the best outcome do we know what the savings look like like surely the end goal on this is saving money i know that they've said it's efficiency but i would imagine they don't do anything unless there's money to be saved i just wonder whether if we had that figure this would all maybe make a little bit more sense yeah there's been no figure attached and people have noted which is interesting that while the number of secretaries has therefore cut and there's you know four that now don't have a job including mike murdoch who is the secretary of the department of communications but the number of ministers hasn't shrunk. So people are saying, well, if we're going to streamline bureaucracy, as Morrison said in his statement, we're going to bust bureaucratic congestion, end quotes. How good is busting <laughs> bureaucratic? <laughs> Look, there's nothing like busting bureaucratic congestion, congestion. Uh, when the world is on fire. Um, and when I actually can't, breathe and when new south wales is choking let's fucking bust some bureaucratic well, congestion that feels like another argument here like i understand that you know the government should be able to do more than one thing at a time but well they should be able to <laughs> they should it's be a able great to. theory but my concern is that Scott Morrison has taken not to turn this into our political debate oh look we're gonna get a comment about uh, how i lead a, a band of Wokeisters. Wokeisters. And if anyone can tell me what that means, as I was called on the Australian, I'd love to know. A card, uh, extreme leftist, card carrying wokeister. We've um, got our cards displayed on the table right now. <laughs> That's yeah. how we come in. Yeah. But I just feel like in the time when obviously we are struggling under a terrible bushfire epidemic, I'm not sure that streamlining the Department of Communication and Arts, unless you can then turn around to me and say, oh, we've saved $60 million here and we're putting it towards the bushfires, is maybe the right PR push for the government right now. And I mean, look, the government's response to sort of general um, commentary, you know, people saying, well, okay, the arts now ceases to exist in a department. This signals that the government more broadly doesn't care about the arts, doesn't care about, you know, what it brings to the economy, doesn't care about the cultural and social value that it has. The government's response to that is, well, funding for the arts is still the same. We're not actually changing kind of anything like that. It's just that the name's different. I mean, the name is symbolic though, and so it does feel strange to kind of – it was Department of Communications and the Arts, 50% of that now is no longer represented in the name, and the secretaries apparently weren't consulted, so Mike Murdoch apparently found out 
via email like the day before it happened that he was out of a job. There were no sort of broader groups consulted. So it just feels, as you say, a strange priority to kind of go from 18 to 14 departments Apparently, cutting four is streamlining or busting bureaucratic congestion. I'd expect a few more cuts before I'd call it busting. But, yeah, it it, it feels symbolic, right? It, it feels like, you know, we've seen funding cuts to the ABC. We're, we're talking constantly about how we need more local content. It, that's more important than ever. And, you know, for the arts to not be represented in name, regardless of what's kind of happening burrowed beneath that and behind the scenes, it it does feel symbolic of the broader agenda, the broader priorities. But unpopular opinion within this room, at least, uh, particularly as we are card-carrying wokisters with far-left agendas, (laughs) is perhaps the industry, like, doesn't doesn't care as much as I thought they did. Um, And this is evidenced by the fact that I tried to put together a piece to sort of deconstruct what this means and you know, the arts is an emotional topic for people and communications covers everything that we do and everything our industry does. And it's that real intersection between creativity and business and infrastructure and all of those things. I just, I really did think people might care. Uh, But I contacted basically every single large media organisation in the country just to hear if they had a problem with it, hear what they think it means, hear if they think it will change anything and I could be misinterpreting it but they don't they don't seem to care in that Screen Australia, WPP, AUNZ, Australian Radio Network, Nine uh, declined to comment said this is not something that we'll comment on, Southern Cross, Stereo, Nova and Ten didn't get back to me in time full well knowing the deadline. At least 20 senior industry leaders declined to comment uh, sort of ranging from we, you know, the very abrupt, we will not be commenting on this to the more honest, oh, look, I don't really have my head around this to the sort of business selling, oh, look, the government doesn't matter. We just need to make sure that we're winning shit for our clients and doing great things for the consumers of Australia. What I think is particularly interesting on that is if you go on Twitter, if you go anywhere near these organizations, the people inside the organization does do care. Mm. Like, the ABC also didn't put out a statement about it, which you would kind of have expected them to, especially considering their entire morning radio program was dedicated to the topic. So it just seems to me really strange that they can be so out of whack with what the people inside their organisation think. Screen Australia definitely yeah. shocked me, particularly given, you know, we get press releases at least once a month about what funding they've been able to scrape together for projects and which projects have made the cut to receive that funding. So for the arts to no longer be represented feels like something that they definitely should have a public opinion about. I wonder whether or not for the bigger companies, for, you know, the Nines and Hugh Marks and Seven and the rest of them, whether or not it's it's a pick your battles kind of thing and whether or not they don't want the government offside. So Seven did use it. Seven did comment, at, you know, to their to their credit, but not that they sort of took a particularly hard political line. But – their head of regulatory and government affairs, Justine McCarthy, 
sort of just used it as an opportunity to push a different agenda. Um, So she said, Seven West Media is not concerned with the merging of the Department of Communications into the Department of Transport, Regional Development and Communications. Administrative public service determinations such as these are matters for the government. Well, yeah, so is how they respond to the ACCC inquiry. Our well, media, media company saying this isn't for us to comment on. We'll just it's a matter it of the government. Yeah. No, of course not. Bruce Gordon and Anthony Catalano aren't saying, well, media laws are a matter for the government, so we have no opinion. The, the whole reason why laws get changed, the whole reason why governments are influenced to act one way or another is because powerful people, including you know the likes of very high-profile media executives – put forward what they think and what's best for both their companies and their audiences. Like that's just such a ridiculous and like out of touch comment to make. Uh, And then uh, Justine sort of just changed the conversation and said, what we are concerned about is the urgent need for real policy reform in the communications sector, including acting on the recommendations of the ACCC's Digital Platforms Inquiry Final Report and reform to Australian content regulation. But so there that you would, go. Isn't that matters for the government? Well, too? without all that extra bureaucracy, guys, they're going to be able to come back real quick on <laughs> that the ACCC. congestion is a so busted. It's <laughs> so gone. Uh, yeah, so look, I really struggled uh, to get people to speak about this. Um, so somebody in the comment thread uh, said to me, perplexing as to why you would ask media advertising and PR people their opinion on this. They're so far removed from the ground roots. I think they mean grassroots, but I'll let that slide, Stuart M. (laughs) Uh, They're so far removed from the ground roots arts communities that will ultimately be the most impacted by this decision. Well, my response to that, Stuart M., is that uh, I don't write for the ground roots arts community. I write for the media marketing and advertising industry, and they are impacted by this. And I... I am shocked that, I mean, you know, my piece was a bit shit because I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. I and could, I mean, I think, yeah, thank it was you a bit for shit. finally <laughs> saying it. Um, but I also thought it was important to write it to show that I've tried to do this explainer totally. piece. I've tried to show what this means policy wise, practical wise, ground roots wise. And I can't because they don't, they don't want to talk about and it. And the fact I, that the likes of Jane Caro was the most outspoken on it. It's so reflective of the conversation more broadly, which is people who are working within organisations like the ABC, like Benjamin Law, or Mm. people who are writers or who, you know, would have projects that they'd want to get up through Screen Australia. They are the ones who know how much this is going to impact them. And it's just sad that that kind of solidarity and activism, or at least some recognition that this is impactful, doesn't kind of feed back up to the top. But I also think given half the chance, they will be the first ones to say, hey, look at what we're doing for the grand roots. Look at what we're doing to support up-and-comers. Look, at we're working with Screen Australia on this. We're championing Australian content, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like this is very much a case of them picking and choosing when they want to support other, you know, smaller companies, smaller communities, smaller whatever, and when – it's too hard for them to do that. And for the record, Viv, um, when I said yeah before, I shouldn't have said, yeah, your piece is shit. Because I actually thought that it, it that became the story, right, almost, mm. in that I've tried to get this story together that showcases the industry's reaction. Turns out the industry doesn't really have a reaction, or if it does, it's a fairly weak one. And that, I think, said a lot 
in and of itself and was very indicative of whether or not it's just the top end of town or the industry more broadly, I'm, I'm not too sure. Based on everything else I've seen kind of from Twitter and from the people who I referenced, I'd say it is more the top end of town. But, you know, I, I think that it was definitely a good story to write and became kind of an interesting observation about, you know, what the media industry cares about more broadly. Yeah, I mean, I was sort of expecting people to come out swinging and I didn't even get you know, like a minuscule movement. You didn't even them. you didn't even get like the start of a punch, let no, alone a punch. No, so look, maybe uh maybe we need to put down our far left cards and just accept that we're not in touch with the real people of media because I thought it was a story and I guess I guess it's not. Unless you listen to uh, you know, Jane Caro who is um the founder of Jarrah Consulting and was formerly a copywriter at FCB, Saatchi and Saatchi in the Campaign Palace. And people would also know her from being a regular Gruen uh, panellist. And, you know, she she used quite inflammatory language and said it was a calculated insult and a sneer of epic proportions and did say it would have long-term consequences and said that a society that does not value arts, communication, education and the environment is not a society that will create anything of any worth so people people do care um and perhaps i think i think you you guys are right that they're picking their battles with the government at the moment we're seeing such a crackdown on on so many different elements of of life and of data and of security that perhaps they just think oh you know i can only battle them about the media laws at the moment, you know, you don't always want to be that lightning rod of dissent. Sometimes you just need to be like, oh, I'll, I'll let that one go. You know, if you whinge all the time, uh, as, as I've learned. I was going to say, <laughs> spoken like a true lightning rod of dissent, yeah. Vivian. Uh, if you whinge all the time. thought you were going to say a true whinger. <laughs> yeah, well, both. Uh, if you whinge all the time, then people don't take your complaints as seriously. Whereas if you pick one and you're compliant on other issues, then people might think, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll hear you out on this one. But if you're in the boardroom every week whinging about busting <laughs> bureaucratic <laughs> congestion and whinging about media laws and whinging about the environment and whinging about jobs and growth, then you're probably not going to get an audience. However, does this not feel like maybe a precursor to the kind of conversation they had when the AFP raids happened? And I mm. remember a lot of media leaders standing on stage talking about boiling the frog and to me, if you're going to let things like this pass, that feels like we may be perhaps putting another frog in the pot. I've heard that the – and not that I'm going to test it because I don't think we should torture a frog just for, so that my anecdote stacks up. But I've heard that that anecdote is actually wrong. That, That's not the point. Yeah, look, no, <laughs> no but I just – not the point No, at but all. I just think that perhaps it doesn't work anymore because apparently the frog yeah, does know. They yeah. will jump out. Yeah. So I'm just saying it's a flawed analogy, okay? Like, I like it, Hannah. Okay, media owners of Australia, get out there. Come up with another analogy. Get out of the pot. <laughs> <laughs> Put a frog in a pot. See what happens. On that note, uh, coming up next, we have our new sponsored segment, Audio Diaries, created by audio specialists Eardrum. This week, Ralph Van Dyke talks to Darren Wallace, Marketing and Innovation Director for Dairy and Non-Alcoholic at Lion, about his time working with Cadbury Sweps, including the Wouldn't It Be Nice Cadbury campaign, Swepervescence and Yo Play Petite Miam. 
He also discusses the benefits of bespoke Spotify and podcast content for Dare Iced Coffee, as well as the importance of a sonic identity. Hello, Mumbrella Cast lovers. Welcome to Audio Diaries. Today's guest is a marketer that really gets the power of sound in all its forms, whether it's a mnemonic like the in Schweppervessens, a chocolatey jingle like this, or a French voiceover like this. He's been across the development of a whole range of different audio brand assets and then leveraging them across audio platforms like radio, podcasts, and Spotify. His name is Darren Wallace, Marketing Innovation Director for Dairy and Non-Alcoholic Brands at Lion Co. If I look back in my past, I spent a long time working in the Cadbury Schweppes organisation. So working on a brand like Cadbury Dairy Milk, right? Yeah, I'd say is one where we really used uh, a soundtrack or our own jingle. Wouldn't it be nice? Yeah, let's, yeah. let's remind everyone of, the, of what that sounded like. There we go. No. That uh, that campaign ran for a long time and um, was very good at reinforcing. Uh, our overall joy and happiness and sort of family sharing positioning for Cadbury Dairy Milk. Mm-hmm. And what about and Sh- and I think another brand yeah. might be Shrep of Essence. So, uh, you know, a brand that we spoke about stimulating all our senses, whether it was uh, sound, sight, touch, feel, etc. So uh, the Shrep of Essence mm, and yep. how we brought that to life with our advertising was uh, one that we really leveraged on audio. That's true. And it was a great sort of... Um benefit of that sort of onomatopoeic sound was that it actually suggested freshness because you know when you when you open a bottle the louder that sound is the fresher it, it appears you know it was really taking a commoditized category and trying to bring that next level of experience through a whole lot of sensory pieces but a big element of the positioning is exactly what you said. In the last few years that I was working on the brand, we wanted to keep it youthful as well. So we were able to bring sort of a youthful energy and we used quite high energy dance soundtracks. You know, we talked about the cocktail revolution and the ability to to modernise mixed drinks and cocktail making for young adults. And we were still able to use that sound mnemonic to bring a real youthful energy to the brand as well. So it did play to premium, but it also played to a modern expression of, you know, sophisticated fun and enjoyment. When I asked the guys in the office which ad they remembered for YoPlay, they all unanimously said Petit Miam. Yeah, so, it, it you know, YoPlay was a pioneer of the yogurt category and, and they brought it to life beautifully by uh, Petit Miam stands for French for yum. So mm. it was it was perfect for, uh, I guess, what YoPlay is famous for is uh, good tasting fruited style yogurts and how do they bring the sort of charm and, and specialness of the French culture to life for kids and families and and that yumness. So yeah, French for yum, petite me yum. So it's a still a really strong brand for us and to this day is still performing really well in the market, which is good. It's also a nice use of accents, um, which which made it stand out so much and as relevant today as it, it was then. And it also reminded me of a, an ad that we made for Nesquik, which was actually um, using language at its core and, and reminding parents of the sort of uh, how taxing their kids' days are at school. It's Let's have a listen to that one. Now, repeat after me. Au revoir. 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 
After a hard day's school, a glass of milky Nesquik really satisfies. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. Happiness quick with tasty Nesquik. In some of the brands you're working on now, you've you've been experimenting with Spotify. Yes, I I think what we're seeing is the traditional radio media, if you like, continuing to innovate and really evolve. And so over the last uh, probably three or four years, we've seen the use of audio be able to really continue to maintain reach in the marketplace Mm. and the accessibility that that um, mediums like Spotify or podcasts offer still allow us to reach lots of consumers and move that medium from traditional in the car, in the home, to also being mobile and out and about as well. So DARE would be an example. So DARE's all about being at your best, mentally alert, the yep. the real uh, coffee um, with the fresh dairy giving you that uh, great pick-me-up to start the day mm. and bringing that to life in Spotify has been really interesting. So bespoke content for mm-hmm. that medium and just reaching a whole lot of uh, people um, when they're out and about. And how have you used the data that Spotify gives you to actually tailor the ads? So what we've been able to do is really play to different occasions that we think are relevant. So whether we're, you know, an office environment where we might be talking about losing concentration in a meeting and and staying alert, or you might be a more working blue collar environment where you're a tradie and you're out on, on the job and you need to keep your concentration up and avoid being distracted. So we'll bring a variety of different occasions to life to meet different audiences because what we're getting is that data about, you know, who's streaming, what they're listening to, when they're listening, and we equally get the the real-time feedback as to how long did they listen through it, did they skip, yeah. what did they enjoy. For what brands have you yeah. used podcasting? So we've done some work recently with Gary Meehan where we've partnered up in his podcast and he's spoken specifically about how he would use Farmers Union Greek yogurt, how he he'd prepare it, what sort of meals he'd incorporate it into, and how he'd cook with it. Mm. And so, one of our things is is our ambitions, if you like, is just educating more Australians on how they can um, cook fresh meals with the versatility of Farmers Union Greek yogurt, and and within the context of his podcasts, use him as key talent, if you like. Yeah, well, you get that real endorsement in a in a medium that there's such high engagement. And uh, it's uh, so much more seamless in audio when you have that um, integration of a brand into the content, which is it's, it's hard for hard for visual media to do that as seamless in in such a seamless way, because suddenly you have a a, you know, a pack introduced on the screen and it feels kind of heavy handed, but in this context it feels very very organic, um, to use a yogurt pun. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, yeah, and I practice that one. Yeah, the medium allows us, if if we do it well and we use the right people and integrate it, the ability to, to really get across our whole product and brand experience and uh, message. Mm. So what do you think uh, brands can do to be more sort of audio ready so they're better equipped to use some of the the audio platforms, be they sort of the traditional ones like radio or some of the newer ones like streaming and podcasts and, and smart speakers? The thing that we're doing a lot of work with from a brand point of view is making sure we have audio assets. So in a traditional media sense, you might have a, a regular sign-off that might be um, written, might not even be said out loud. Yep. It may then not have a, a sound expression to it. So, you know, I think there's a number of brands we spoke about Schweppes, for example, but, you know, I think McDonald's do it really well with yep. 
how they would sign off their ad with a sound visual separate than an audio visual. Yeah, it's probably uh, one of the most so, powerful audio assets on the planet, yeah. I'd say. We're working with a number of brands doing that exact same thing. And I mean, it's not something that can be rushed to define your brand in audio is something that it's deceptively simple. And I've had instances where someone said, oh, look, can you add an extra 45 minutes to the end of the session and make us a logo? And I get, no, um, we can make you a really crappy one in 45 minutes, but we're not going to be able to do a, an, you know, a, an audit to find out how it's going to be used, look at your competitors, um, just to distill the you know the personality of the brand in that um in those few seconds that takes a lot of thought and there's some some terrible examples that are out there of things that just sound so generic and so instantly forgettable because they just haven't been thought through and they're not distinctive um so yeah um uh, it's great that you're doing it and you're doing it well and you're putting thought into it because it's a great asset to be able to exploit all these new p- platforms that are available yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're saying that because you take a couple of our brands, like a new brand, like the Culture Co. Mm. It's not that straightforward because you do want to make it memorable and you do want it to be really distinctive and last. So it's not as straightforward as just saying what your, uh, you know, your key creative line might be. It's also what is the sting or the or the uh, the audio, you know, Mnemonic. sound that wraps yeah. around that. Yeah, well. Listen to this space, as they say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's brilliant, Darren. Thank you very much for your uh, for your time and and for sharing some of your insights and and the experiences that you've had on different brands. Um, and uh, yeah, like we said, we'll be listening out for um, how you're you're embracing the audio world. Thank you, Ralph. It's been uh, nice chatting to you. Thank you. Nice one. Thanks a lot. My thanks to Darren Wallace, and I hope you've enjoyed this week's audio diary. And if you're asking yourself the question, how does my brand sound? Well, you're not alone. Eardrum has helped many of Australia's largest brands answer that question. And our audio branding specialists would love to do the same for you. You can email us at info at eardrum.com.au. Thanks for listening. And that's all for this week. By my bureaucratic, what is it? I can't remember what it is. Bureaucratic busting, Bureaucra- bureaucratic my- busting congestion? Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Bye. Bye. Bye.